Well, thank you, ladies. Thanks for having me today. It's an honor to be part of women's ministry, and I'm excited to get to teach and continue our study on the book of Exodus. Well, welcome to anyone who's watching online or who's part of our women's Bible study satellite groups. We're excited you're joining us as well. Well, you guys, one of my greatest joys in life is being a mom, and that happened for me several years back, but I'm the mom of two of the most adorable, sweetest twin boys. They're three and a half years old. Their names are Hudson and Finley. I love them so much, and it's been such a joy to watch my boys grow over the last several years. My boys have loved a lot of different things in their three and a half years on life, on this planet. They have loved McDonald's ice cream cones. They have loved dump trucks. They love construction excavators. They love Target and the Target dollar spot because I spend a lot of time at Target and the Target dollar spot <laughs> with them. Um, they love Paw Patrol. They love superheroes. And one thing they have also loved is Peppa Pig. And I don't know if you know who Peppa Pig is, but she is this adorable, lovely little pig with a British accent. And she has this really sweet family of pigs who also have a British accent. And so my kids just love Peppa and they love this little TV show that Peppa is on. So I will never forget, it was probably several months ago, a few of my friends came to me and they said, hey, Jill, and they said to my husband, hey, Byron, um, is it just me or do your kids speak with a British accent? <laughs> and I was like, oh no, and I couldn't hear it, but clearly they all thought my kids were speaking with a British accent. And so, I was like, okay, this must mean that they're watching too much Peppa Pig. And then a little time went by and I heard it for myself. So I was at home with one of my kids and they were trying to ask me if they could have a turn doing something. Like they wanted to say, mom, can I have a turn at that? But instead of saying, can I have a turn? My son looked at me and said, can I have a go at that? And that <laughs> is how Peppa asked for a turn at doing things. That's how I guess you say it with a British accent. And so I was like, oh my goodness, my kids are literally changing because of this show that they've been watching. This thing that they love so much is changing them. It's changing their voice. We all do this, right? We have things, people, things in our life, a lot of which are good, and we love them so much but they change us, right? We look different because of these things that we love. It might be your marriage, it might be your kids, it might be your job, it might be a dream, it might be a friendship, or just a hobby, or travel, or reading, something you enjoy doing. But what can happen if we're not careful is that the things we love start to become things that we worship. We give our hearts to them. We start loving them more than we love God. We let our love for these different things compete or rival with our love for the Lord and they become things that we worship. And when we worship anything or anyone that is not God, then it changes us and it doesn't change us for the better. It changes us for the worse. We get to choose what we worship and what we worship changes us. And that's what I wanna talk with us today about worship. But before we do, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this group of women. Thank you for our worship earlier. God, thank you for the gift of being here for the gift of your word. Lord, thank you for the book of Exodus and our study thus far. God, we give to you these few chapters of Exodus that we're gonna be in today, and we just pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would make us worshipers, first and foremost, Lord, worshipers of you, the one true living God. So God, would your Holy Spirit be so present here? Would you move in mighty ways in the lives of every woman who's here and lead us into greater worship with you? We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
So today we're going to be in three chapters from Exodus. We've got a lot to cover. We're going to be in Exodus 32 through 34, and there are going to be some selected passages that we're going to cover that will be on the side screen, so you can follow along there. But before we jump in, let me just give you guys a little bit of context for where we've been, what has kind of led us up to Exodus 32. So the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt, and God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt using Moses as the Israelites' leader. He has brought them across the Red Sea. He brings them across on dry land. He basically does the impossible for them, delivers them from slavery. The Israelites are now in the wilderness, and they make their way to Mount Sinai. And it's at Mount Sinai that the Israelites and God make a covenant. If you aren't familiar with the term covenant, it just means an agreement or a contract. So God is making an agreement with his people. And this covenant is what is referred to as the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant. And so as part of this covenant, God gives his people the Ten Commandments, which Coley shared with us about last week. God also gives the people some other laws as part of this covenant but he basically says to his people if you obey this covenant if you listen to my voice and obey what I have commanded you to do then I will bless you I will make you a priestly nation and he says if you obey then you won't just be blessed but you will also be a blessing to the nations around you and so of course the Israelites hear all this and they say Lord we will do everything that you have commanded us and then we read that Moses spends 40 nights and 40 days on Mount Sinai. And that's where we pick up in Exodus 32. So in Exodus 32, we read, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron, who's Moses' brother and has also been leading with him, and said to Aaron, Come make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, cast an image of a calf, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And now at this point, Moses is still on the mountain with the Lord. So Moses and the Lord have this conversation. The Lord says to Moses, go down at once. Your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation." So the people see that Moses is delayed. He's taking longer than the people would like him to. And in reality, he hasn't been gone longer than 40 days and 40 nights, but it feels too long to the Israelites. So the Israelites start doubting Moses. They start losing their faith in God, and they basically lose their faith in this God who just months earlier did the impossible and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. So in essence, they say to God, forget you, Forget this Moses guy. We are going our own way. We're choosing our own path. We are making and worshiping our own gods. So if you're taking notes, the first point is this. We are quick to forget God. We are quick to forget God. Psalm 106 references a lot of what happens in the book of Exodus, including the story of the golden calf that we're reading right now. And I want to read to you a few verses from Psalm 106. It says, they, referring to the Israelites, made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a cast image. 
They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Now, had the Israelites really forgotten God? Did they have no memory of what he had just done for them? Probably not. It had just happened a few months earlier. But this word used here in Psalm 106, the word forget, it can be translated as forget, but it can also be translated as ignore. So whether they really had no memory of all that God had done for them or they were just choosing to ignore God and what they knew to be true of him, they were in essence saying, God, we are choosing to forget you and we're going to worship our own gods instead. To worship something means to give it our devotion, to give it our love, our dedication, our loyalty. To worship something means that we are putting our hope and our trust in something. The Israelites give their love and their adoration to another God. They forget or ignore the God who saved them and they turn to useless, powerless, man-made gods instead. How often do we do the exact same thing? as the Israelites. It's easy to read this passage and think, well, I'm not at home in my basement carving a golden calf out of my wedding jewelry. Like, I think I'm good. I don't have golden calves, golden cats, golden hamsters, golden dogs lying around my house. Like, I'm good. I'm not like the Israelites. But if we're honest, don't we all forget or ignore the God who has saved us to worship other useless, powerless gods that have no power to save us? I don't know what your golden calf is. Maybe it's your work or your marriage or a relationship or your kids or your family. Maybe it's a habit in your life, a hobby in your life. Maybe it's something you give a lot of time to. Maybe it's an unmet dream. Maybe it's the dream for more money or the dream for that promotion or that job. Maybe it's the dream to be married or the dream to have a family. Um, maybe it's the desire to be in control or the need to be right all the time or the need to be liked by everyone. What thing, person, dream, habit, occupation, belief, or philosophy is rivaling or competing with your love for God? What in your life has taken the place of God or has decreased your loyalty and your trust in God? If we want to worship the one true God, then we have to be quick to remember who God is and all that he has done for us. Where has God been good to you? Where has God been faithful to you? Where has God done the impossible for you? What are the red seas in your life that God has parted? The things that seemed impossible, but he's brought you across a dry land, and you know that that could never have happened apart from God's work in your life. Write those things down. Remember them. Pay attention to them and praise God for the ways that he has been good to you. And by remembering those things, it will help us not to be quick to forget God and to turn aside to other gods. So the Israelites are quick to forget God. They're worshiping this golden calf. And then Moses comes back down the mountain. He comes with Joshua. And we read that he hears noise in the camp. And Joshua says that it sounds like the sound of revelers. And this word revel may imply self-indulgence. But the people are dancing. They're running wild. This thing that they have chosen to worship, this golden calf, has changed them. It has made them wild. Because what we worship changes us. Moses at this point is holding in his hands the two tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. And Moses is so angry at the people's rebellion and their blatant disobedience that he takes the tablets and he throws them on the ground and breaks them. 
And when he breaks those tablets, it's a picture for us of how the Israelites just broke their covenant with God. The Israelites had just said, Lord, we will do everything you have commanded us to do. And then they didn't do that. They broke their covenant with God. And um, so then at this point, Moses has some of the Israelites killed as punishment for their sin. And then we read in Exodus 32, 30, on the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So while the Israelites are quick to forget God, Moses is quick to worship God. And that's point number two. Moses is quick to worship God. Israelites are quick to forget God and Moses is quick to worship God. Moses immediately turns to God and his concern is for God and for God's covenant with the people. He says, I will go up to the Lord and I will try to make atonement for your sins. So he's saying, I'll go up to God and I will try to get God to forgive you guys. But as we know, no human being on the face of the planet can make atonement for our sin. So even the statement Moses makes is pointing towards our need for a savior, for Jesus Christ, the only one who could make atonement for our sin in full. And then God says, no, I will not forgive the people. And then he punishes the people by sending a plague on them. I want to make a quick note here that we don't have time to fully go into this. When we hear things like God sent a plague on his people as punishment for their sin, or Moses had some of the people killed as punishment for their sin, it could kind of make us question, okay, what's going on? This might be a little confusing. Why is this happening? And what I want you to hear from this is that one truth that comes out of this is that on this earth there are consequences for our sin. All of us could share stories. We don't have time, but all of us could share stories of ways that we have sinned or rebelled against God or disobeyed what we knew God wanted for us, and we suffered consequences, and some of those consequences are big and life-changing consequences because on earth our sin still has consequences in our life. But the good news is that the ultimate consequence of our sin, the ultimate penalty for our sin, Jesus paid for on the cross, and he already has taken that upon himself. And so all we have to do is look to him and put our trust in him to receive new life. So God sends this plague, and then he says, you can enter the promised land, the people can go with you, but I'm not going with you, because if I go, I'm going to consume the people. And Moses isn't satisfied with that. Moses wants God to go with him, and so Moses pleads with God and talks with God and says, God, no, we want you to go with us. If you don't go with us, it's not worth it. The promised land isn't worth it without you and without your presence. And so God says, okay, I will go with you. And then we have this beautiful request that Moses makes of the Lord and then God's response to him in Exodus 33. Moses says, show me your glory, I pray. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So the Hebrew word used here for glory, when Moses says to God, show me your glory, this is the Hebrew word kavod. And kavod can be translated as glory, honor, splendor, or reverence. But one of the ways this Hebrew word can be defined is by the word weight. 
So when Moses says, show me your glory, he's saying, show me your weightiness. Show me the weightiness of all that you are, God. Pastor and author Tim Keller says that the glory of God is at least the combined magnitude of all God's attributes and qualities put together. So it seems that Moses' request for glory is to draw even closer to God, to know him even more, to be in deeper intimacy with God and with his presence. A few months ago, maybe six months ago now at this point, um, my kids started waking up in the middle of the night. One, two, three a.m., it's all kind of a blur. And they started climbing in bed with my husband and I. And I love it because I love snuggling with my kids in bed, but for the record, my husband absolutely hates it. And I know that every sleep training expert on earth would tell us that this is a bad habit we are forming with our kids and it's never gonna get better until we sleep train our kids. We just haven't done it yet. So inevitably, <laughs> What happens is one of my kids will wake up in the middle of the night, he'll climb in bed with us, he'll jump between my husband and I, and I'll have my back facing him because I sleep on my left side. So he'll be up against my back, he'll be in bed between us, and I will be sound asleep at this point because I can kind of sleep through anything, but I'm awakened out of this restful, beautiful, deep sleep by this tiny little hand grabbing at me and pulling at my face, and this sweet little voice saying, Mom, Mom, I wanna see your face. And so I'll roll over and I'll look at my kid and then he will say to me, mom, mom, I want your hand. And then if my other child is also in bed at this point, he will then chime in and say, mom, mom, I want your other hand. And so I will be looking at both my boys and I will put one hand out for one of them and one to the other and we will fall asleep holding hands. When I think of Moses asking to see God's glory, I think of my boys climbing in bed with us, grabbing at my face and saying, Mom, Mom, I want to see your face. Now, why do my kids want to see my face? They've seen my face before. They've seen my face a million times. They know what I look like but I think they wanna see my face because in the midst of the darkness of the night and in our bedroom, they wanna know that I'm with them. They wanna know that I'm present with them. They wanna know me. They wanna know all of me because they love me. Moses as well had already seen God's glory. He had seen it in the fire. He had seen it in the cloud. Moses was not asking to see something brand new that he had never seen before but I think Moses wanted to know that God was with him. He wanted to know that God was present with him. And Moses didn't just want that for himself, he wanted it for the people. He wanted to know that God was present with the people. So Moses says, show me your glory, implying I wanna see your glory. Like if I say, show me something, I mean, show me something that I can see with my eyes. And while Moses may have seen God's glory with his eyes, it's interesting that one of the ways God's res God responds to Moses' request is by speaking to him. God proclaims his name and his character to Moses. And so in Exodus 34, 5 through 8, we read, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So God proclaims his name to Moses and Moses' first response is to bow down and worship God. 
Moses is quick to worship because he knows who God is and he knows that God is in control. Ladies, how often, how quickly does our worship come? Is worship our first response? Is it our second response? Is it our third response? Maybe in the good times, maybe in the times where life is going great and everything's going the way you had hoped, maybe on a weekend when we're at church and we're singing and worshiping with praise songs, but what about in the difficult times? What about in the times where God seems to be delayed? What about the times where you've prayed and God hasn't responded the way you had hoped he would? What's interesting to note about Moses's ability to worship God right here is that he chooses to worship God quickly and Moses is in the midst of revelry and chaos all around him. He's surrounded by these Israelites who have just disobeyed God. They have rebelled against God, and these are the people that God has assigned to Moses. He's probably feeling disappointment for how the people are responding and how they've disobeyed God. And in the midst of their disobedience, their chaos, their revelry, Moses is still able to respond by worshiping God. So where is their revelry? Where is their chaos going on in your life? And would you let that be an invitation to let your first response, even in the midst of the chaos, be to worship God? We will never drift into worshiping God. We will always drift into worshiping golden calves and other gods. That is always the direction that our sin nature will take us. So if we wanna be quick to worship God, then we have to be intentional. We have to choose, like Moses did, to be a worshiper, to let our first response be to worship God. So we are quick to forget, Moses is quick to worship God, and then finally and quickly for the sake of time, God is quick to restore. God is quick to restore. Moses has just bowed down and worshiped God, and then God says in Exodus 34, verse 10, I hereby make a covenant. Before all your people, I will perform marvels such as have not been performed in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you live shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. God restores his covenant with the people. When God says, I hereby make a covenant, that's present tense. So God isn't changing the covenant he made with his people, but he's remaking it. He's restoring that covenant because the people had broken that covenant when they worshiped the golden calf. And God is in essence saying, all right, I'm gonna let you guys off the hook for that golden calf incident. I'm gonna restore this covenant and I'm gonna be faithful to, what, to my end of this covenant. And he's not just gonna do that now, but you're gonna see in the pages of scripture that follow Exodus, you're gonna see that God is gonna do that time and time again as the Israelites continue to disobey and rebel against God. So God speaks his name and his character to Moses and now he's living that out. He is proving himself to be the God who is faithful and merciful and full of grace and abounding in love. God is committing himself to be faithful to a faithless people who have chosen to worship a cow that eats grass over worshiping the God who made that cow and the grass and the entire universe. That's our God, that is the God that we worship. 
Moses had previously spent 40 nights and 40 days on Mount Sinai, and now we read that he spends another 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai. And when he comes back down the mountain, what Exodus tells us is that after he's been talking with the Lord, his face, the skin of his face is shining. And he doesn't even recognize it at first, but when he speaks with the Lord, his face, his skin is shining. Moses is changed because of what he worships, because of who he worships. So the Israelites, when they choose to worship the golden calf, they're changed too, just not in a good way. They become wild. They become full of revelry. But Moses, who worships God, is changed. His skin is shining because we get to choose what we worship, and what we worship changes us. Theologian and bishop N.T. Wright says, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object you worship. What are you worshiping? What are you gazing at with admiration? What are you gazing at with awe these days? And how are those things changing you? Who are you becoming as a result of what or who you are worshiping? Ladies, the invitation today is for us to set our eyes and our heart and our worship back on the one and only true living God. It is a choice that we get to make. Choose today to worship the one living God and him alone. Ask God to search your heart and reveal to you other things, other people, other dreams that you have been worshiping besides him. And then get rid of them. Whatever your golden calves are, get rid of them. Don't allow anyone or anything to be more important to you than God. Be quick to remember who God is and all that he has done for you. As we close, I want to remind us of the really good news that these stories in Exodus point to. Just like the Israelites, we are quick to forget God. Just like the Israelites, we are unfaithful. We are quick to turn away from God and to turn to other powerless gods instead. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came. God sent Jesus in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, in his faithfulness for us, he sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sin, to die upon the cross, so that what we deserve is death, but what we get isn't death. We get what we don't deserve. We, when we respond to Jesus, can have eternal life in Christ. The Mosaic Covenant that we've been talking about today reminds us that we are unable to fulfill the requirements of the law, but it points toward our need for someone who is. It points toward our need for a savior and we know that that is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who was and is able to fulfill the requirements of the law. God's amazing love, mercy, grace, and faithfulness is demonstrated to us on the cross through what Jesus has done for us. And because of what Jesus has done, because he paid the penalty for our sin, all who turn to him will be saved and forgiven and have new life in Christ. And that is the beautiful and amazing and faithful God that we worship.